is the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 as we go verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. Last week again we began to see that even though Mark wants to show us very much that Christ is this suffering servant, that he came to serve us, um, to, to, but that serving us is really a saving us, that it meant our biggest need, and that is our sinfulness and our separation from God. And as we look into this morning's passage, as we start with verse 27 and kind of go forward, we begin to see Christ in his ministry become more and more defined, much to the opposition or at least the misunderstanding of the disciples. They just don't quite get it. And I'm not so sure that we still get it today. I don't know that we really kind of grasp this call of Christ and, and what he was purposed to do and how uh, even in our American Christianity, we kind of want a little bit of this Santa Claus God. We kind of want this God that is kind of there for our needs and that when we pray that he would respond. And it's not that he doesn't do that, but he's never going to place that as priority. Now, is that just opinion or is that what the text is going to say? Well, we'll see that today. But uh, I want to start off with uh, kind of, you know, the Titanic, that whole story of the Titanic has so many incredible stories, miraculous stories of of men and women, uh, some very tragic, others heroic. And uh, th- this is a picture of Major A.H. Puchin. He was one of 11 millionaires that were on the Titanic. He was from Canada. He was in the oil business, had made a lot of money, and yet he was still a man of, that kind of kept uh, very humble means. And um, when he found out that the Titanic was going down, uh, in his room, in his case, uh, back in, in, in the safe and everything, uh, there was over $300,000 worth of money and uh, um, stocks and bonds and, you know, liquid assets and different things like jewelry and, and securities in the box. Uh, $300,000 is still a lot today. I think most of us would agree. Back then, if you can imagine, in the early 1900s, it was even that much more so. And yet, when he found out that the Titanic was going down, uh, being kind of, uh, he actually owned a yacht, and he was very familiar with, you know, sailing and all that. Uh, he volunteered to go help the ladies get into the lifeboats. And so that was one of the things that he began to do. Very heroic. Uh, but instead of going back to his cabin and getting $300,000 worth of stuff, you know what he grabbed? Three oranges. And here's what he said. He said, the money seemed a mockery at the time. I picked up three oranges instead. All of a sudden, he made a choice of priority. Now, if you had a choice today of $300,000 or three oranges, which one would you pick? Well, today, given the circumstances that we're sitting right here, we know which one we would pick. We'd pick the $300,000. But there was a priority that came into this man's life at that moment going, okay, we don't know if we're going to survive or not. And all of a sudden, money in that sense really became quite meaningless. He said, we might actually need provision as we go out there in a frigid ocean just to survive. They did survive, and he helped many, many others. But isn't it amazing that we come into a time in our lives where we begin to sense, not so much because we just made the choice to be in that predicament, but that a predicament in our life makes us kind of wrestle 
with priorities. What is the purpose of my life? Well, one of my discipleship guys, we've just started a new book by Steve Ferrar about finishing strong. And it's one of those that's really kind of grappling uh, in, in the sense of, okay, how do we finish strong? And, and case after case, biblical case of, of men of God that loved Jesus, that began with Jesus, but they didn't finish strong. And so it's been a very convicting book about where are my priorities? Where are your priorities? And that's what we begin to see this morning. Now, Webster defines priority as superior in rank, position, or privilege, a preferential rating. In other words, we're making judgments. We're looking and making assessments. This is first place. This is second place. This is third place. And you can only imagine that Christ mastered this, that he always knew his priority. And yet, can you imagine all the different needs that were thrust upon Jesus? I mean, think about it. All of a sudden, okay, hey, can you preach at our synagogue next week? Hey, you know, I, I've, my friend, he's got this bump on his arm and he hasn't been, nobody's been able to help him. And all of a sudden, all these different things that Jesus could do because he's already established last week, showing his authority over sickness, he's already healed some people. He's already cast out a demon from something. So he's shown his authority even over demonic things in the spiritual realm. And all of a sudden, we come into this place where the reaction of the people, whether it was teaching in the synagogue, whether it was healing, they were amazed. They were overwhelmed with this Jesus. Uh, again, let's go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 27, kind of where we left off last week. And he, he had been teaching in the synagogue that morning just to bring it into context. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Remember somebody had shouted out in the middle of the sermon and it was this demonic voice and somebody disturbed the whole service that morning and Jesus cast out that demon. But even that demon or those demons knew the authority of Christ. Thou art the Holy One. And, and so now people are amazed that Christ has this power. But look what happens in verse 28. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Uh, His popularity, this popularity of Christ begins to grow and spreads throughout the whole region. So that it's not just in this little town and it's not just the surrounding towns, but the whole region of Galilee where Christ would have a lot of his ministry. Now this was really good news, I imagine, to the disciples. Because remember... They had dropped their nets, at least some of them that were in the fishing business, and they followed him immediately because Jesus commanded them and they followed. And so that authority of his command, they followed, and they're going, okay, what have we gotten ourselves into? Have you ever made a decision one day that made a lot of sense, and by 24 hours later, you were kind of questioning that decision? You're like, okay, what was I thinking yesterday? (laughs) And I imagine, you imagine being very, you know, frail human beings that... Those who dropped their nets, Peter and Andrew and James and John, you know, that they're going, okay, what have we just done? (laughs) This itinerant preacher that just kind of travels around, okay, we're going to follow him? And so I imagine when this began and he taught with authority, he healed with authority, and he began to do that, they're going, this is actually working out. This is actually a pretty good bet that we made. We made the right decision. So they're pretty happy with this. He's shown his authority. Now look what happens in verse 29 and following. 
And immediately, again, immediately is Mark's favorite word there. He left the synagogue and entered to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So they go in there and they go into the house of Simon's mother-in-law. Look at verse 30. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with the fever and immediately they told him about her. They say, you know, we're here in this. It, we're, we're pretty sure that this would have been a place of ministry for them. Verse 31, and he came and he took her by hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. He heals her infirmity to the point where she's ready now to serve. I think that's why Mark adds that last part and began to serve them. Not only was she feeling better, but she felt better that she could go out and kind of do what she wanted to do and begins to serve them. Now, when we begin to see this, we begin to see that this full restoration takes place. And if, again, if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, okay, the crowds are starting to respond to the ministry. My own mother-in-law, who, I mean, just put yourself in that position, okay? You're the wife, and you're trying to explain to your mom and your dad that your husband just left his vocation to follow an itinerant preacher, Okay, can you imagine the kind of the tension there? So Peter's probably going, thank you for healing my mother-in-law. You know, she's kind of all wondering, is this really going to work out? Why did I quit the fishing business? How am I going to provide for her daughter? You know, all these different things of just responsibilities. And Peter's going, thank you, Jesus, thank you. This is going to work out. Now look what happens in verse 32 and following that. This new business begins to explode a little bit. That evening, verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the what? Whole city was gathered together at the door. Now remember, the towns were a little bit smaller than what we usually picture in our mind. We're talking about hundreds of people, maybe at the most a few thousand, not hundreds of thousands of people. So a lot of these cities that we read about in the Bible are not, they're not Jerusalem, where there's hundreds of thousands of people. They're smaller. And yet, this is pretty impressive, verse 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. This is really going good. This is what happened in the synagogue. Now it's repeated in, in his mother-in-law's house. Jesus comes and they have all these hurts and he begins to heal their hurts and their diseases. And notice how big. They brought all who were sick, all that had demonic forces working in their lives, and he began to heal them. And, and we would say Jesus is now kind of a rock star. If they would have had the internet, this would have went viral. This is really big news. Because in our minds, the bigger the better. I mean, if Christ is coming to save the world and he wants a ministry, bigger is always better. Is that true? <laughs> and kind of in our mind, in our mindset, but not in this case, because all of a sudden we see some pushback. From the community? No. From these new disciples, no, but from Christ himself. Look what happens in verse 35. We see Jesus' response to all this. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, more than likely from the, the terminology used here, 3 a.m., the, the normal Jewish day started at 6 a.m., so he gets up kind of three hours before that. 
Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. Now, this word desolate in the Greek is the same one that they've used um, for when Jesus went out, was tempted in the wilderness. And there's really not a wilderness in that area. So what we think Mark is trying to demonstrate to us is that he went out driven by the Spirit. He goes out to pray to the Father. And even though it may not have been like in the wilderness wilderness, it was very much off to a desolate place. It was a place that kind of felt far away and separated from this little town and this community and the people therein. All of a sudden then we begin to see that uh, why did he go and pray? I mean, have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? I mean, in one way, is Jesus God? Yes, okay. And yet we, this mystery of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are three persons and yet one God. And, and it's hard for us to kind of conceive the interactions of all these different things. But he's praying to the Father and he's praying for guidance. And you're going, but, but you're God. You, you have all knowledge. It's always been kind of a mystery, but what it shows us is that he is really in this servant relationship to the Father. And so he goes out and he prays. And this prayer time must have been fairly extended because Peter then wakes up, the other ones wake up, and and they look over maybe to where Jesus was sleeping. They don't find him there. Okay, where did Jesus go? And they begin to search for him. They begin to search for him more. They begin to search for him more. And they can't find him. Look at verse 36 and 37. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him. And they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now again, one of the hardest things that we have to do in proper biblical interpretation is we're not always given all, you know, what was the flavor of that? But that's where the Greek language actually helps us a lot because in their wording and the way that they do tenses and, and all these other uh, handles on, on uh, grammatical things, it gives us a tone. So we may not know exactly how Peter said everyone is looking for I, But what we read from the Greek, he wasn't saying, oh, everyone is looking for you. What we see here by the word usage is that usually this was a corrective tone And this is, uh, the Greek means to hunt down. And most of the time that that word is used in the Bible, it's used in a negative sense. We had to hunt you down in a negative sense. And so Peter comes and his voice, from what we can tell, and for trying to as best as we can get an interpretation, how did he do this? He's not going, oh, you know, we were looking for you, silly boy. Where were you at? What we get is much more. Where have you been? Where were you? Do you not know that there's people already lined up at the door waiting for you? After they heard about what happened here yesterday, the people have come out. And, and I think that Peter was probably a pretty good businessman. I think he was, you know, he'd learned the trade of fishing uh, fishing and all that. And I think he probably had some business sense. And there's a part of me that thinks that Peter is correcting Jesus in this corrective and negative tone because he's going, we have customers. Are we not supposed to be building this business? And if we put ourselves in Peter's position, I think that we could see that same frustration. Remember, in Peter's mind, in the other people's mind, they've said, okay, we've left what? Do you remember what it says later on in the gospel? We've left everything to follow you. 
Now, Jesus kind of had to correct them a little bit. Look, you actually are the recipients here. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not in def- deficiency. But in their minds, we've left everything. Jesus, the ministry is waiting. Customers are at the door. And what we see here, and this is so important, we begin to see Jesus establishing the priority of his ministry. And it wasn't a business. And it wasn't how many customers can we reach. I don't know that Jesus ever said, hey, millionth customer, ring the bell, here's your prize. Now he already knew that this gate was was very kind of narrow and and this path of destruction was very wide. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that Israel is the remnant. It's the smaller portion. It's not that Jesus doesn't love the crowds and it's not that the crowds couldn't come to him, but Jesus just knew that his ministry and his mission was not really going to be attractive to the masses. It never had been and it wasn't even with Jesus as the lead of that ministry. And yet here's the problem that the disciples had. They had very much kind of this American mindset that bigger is better long before America was around. They just assumed that if this is the ministry that we're in to tell people about these things, that bigger is better. More is better. And Jesus, there's customers at the door. So why are you praying? Why are we not taking care of business? Already we begin to see that they were maybe being sucked into a little bit of the the swirling waters of popularity. Uh, When we begin to see them having now some confrontations with Jesus over this whole idea of what is this ministry going to be about. But look back at verse 15 from last week. Jesus tells us, we already know that Mark 10.45 is kind of the root of the whole gospel of Mark that he came to serve and to ransom us from our sin. But Jesus in verse 1, when he's establishing his authority, he's already told us, this is what my ministry is about. Look at verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means to change your mind. It it is the foundational element of of transformation. If I'm going to begin to think differently there takes a repentance. Now, we always think of that maybe in the spiritual realm, and and certainly that's the application here. It could apply to a lot of different things. Uh, We actually have some Clemson fans in the back. Can you ever conceive pulling for somebody that's not Clemson, Julie? Okay, but what if you repented of your Clemson love? (laughs) And there was a foundational change in your life. And then all of a sudden, you just love Georgia Tech or Florida State or <laughs> these offensive words to you. You can't even conceive that, right? And in order for something to happen, it would have to be foundationally different. It'd have to change at the core. I mean, we joke and we make fun of that, but folks, were we born saved or were we born lost? Were we born, born perfect? Or we were born actually the enemies of God. See, when we understand the gospel, when we understand our real need, how huge it was, our foundation, that's why there's a call for repentance. It's not just, okay, I used to talk this way to my mom, and now I've repented, and I don't talk to my mom. No, that's the fruit of repentance. 
But at the core of repentance is a changed heart. He takes out this heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. A changed mind that all of a sudden we're attracted and we're in love with the things of Christ instead of just the things about Bobby. But I promise you, I'm about all about the things of Bobby. That's my core nature. And Jesus is saying here, look, here's my message. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news of Christ. That Christ is going to come as the sufficient Savior, this Lamb of God. He's going to die in our place so that now we can live with God forever and ever. But what preaches better? Healing and helping people with their hurts? Or repentance and foundational change? I mean, we really want a God who's going to help us with our hurts, right? Not a God that says, says, foundationally, you need to change, brother. Foundationally, there needs to be this core change. I mean, to me, is that not just, that's not an American mindset. That's just a human mindset, guys. And it's not just a present day mindset, but this is an eternal, ever since creation and Adam and Eve in the fall, this has been the mindset of mankind. Take care of me. This is why I need a God to, to take care of me. And here we see that this is a confrontation from the very, very beginning. And yet Jesus is laser focused, guys. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So he's serving, but look how he's serving. And to give his life as a ransom for many. It wasn't that Jesus did not want to heal hurts. It certainly wasn't that he didn't heal hurts. But that was not the depth of his mission. His mission is not, okay, I have leprosy. Oh, I have this, or I have this affliction in my life. No, the greatest affliction Jesus knew was a heart that, that was blackened with sin. And he doesn't stray from that message. Is it a popular message? No. Much more popular is, okay, guys, we're going to just heal everything that's wrong with you so that you can have this great life now. And yet this is not the fullness of the gospel. Jesus says, I know my priorities. But priorities are hard, aren't they? It's one thing you sit down and say, okay, this is going to be the priorities of my life. It's not one to live those out. Just this week, I'd already finished the sermon, had wrestled with the text and everything. And then Friday, uh, a short version of this, uh, we're feeding, our church is feeding uh, Jackson County High School football team. And there's a time that Jeff and I need to show up with the food so that we can feed these guys so they can get on the road and get to the game and all that. And if you know anything about football and all that kind of stuff, you know, we don't want to be 30 minutes late and delay the whole thing. Then they don't get to practice and warm up. And all. So it's it's pretty stringent. And I, I take commitments very seriously, especially feeding commitments. So I know I've got to cook all this stuff and cook for this uh, big team. And uh, we had a, a garage sale this weekend, and I put a couple things in Marketplace. Somebody contacts me in Marketplace and says, I'm interested in this lamp. And can I come get it? Yeah. You can come get it. Comes over from Gainesville, buys the lamp, and uh, then begins to share his life with me and the hurts of his life. His wife just told him last Friday, a week before, that she wanted a divorce. For the next hour, he's just spilling all over you. 
And for the first 15 minutes, I was engaged, guys. I, I promise you, I was engaged with them. And I, I, but opened them up, I, I told him I was a pastor. And then he began to share more and more of the story. He told me details I didn't even want to know. But, you know, that's kind of what happens when somebody is hurting so deeply. First 15 minutes, I, I can promise you that probably full attention. Last 45 minutes, man, I got I got other priorities. I, I've, I've got a commitment. I've got to start this food so that we can deliver this food over to the school and we can feed this football team. And God kept on bringing back to my mind, Bobby, what did my word say this morning? <laughs> Feeding tummies or a broken heart in need of a savior. I mean, isn't this the dilemma of our life, guys? We can have priorities, and, and we can clinically kind of say this is the highest priority, but when we actually go out there and live life, there's a lot of different things involved. And, and I promise you, one of the main reasons that you know I'm going, I've got to start this cooking, is because I'm a prideful man, and I wanted to make sure that we kept our commitment. Some of that can be honorable, but I promise you, a lot of it was prideful. You don't want to do a bad job. Why? Because then you look bad, and our church would look bad. That's pride. And here's this guy broken hearted, melting in my driveway over the hurts of his life. God worked it all. Long story short, God worked it all out. I don't know what I would have done that morning had I not been in the Word and wrestled with this this morning. Without the example of Jesus before us, without the Holy Spirit making that impression upon you, I can imagine I'm going, you know, hey, buddy, I'm sorry about your family. Sorry about all this. Do you have the money for the lamp? You need to be on your way. Just telling you what our human nature is, my human nature. I'll just make confession myself. And yet, the Word of God makes us wrestle. So, so my question today is, what is your priorities? What is the priority? What is your mission? In Acts, it talks about, you know, to be able to fulfill the mission that God has placed before us. Have you ever thought what your mission is? Here's three things that we can learn from this text this morning and put into application our heart. First one, Jesus came to heal your heart and not just your hurts. This is not a matter of compassion. It's a matter of priority. Let me say that again. This is not a matter of compassion, but a matter of priority. In fact, right after this, if we'll see next week as we get into verse 41. Look what verse 41 says. I mean, just look at that verse for a second. What's the first three words? In your version. Moved with pity? Anybody else? Yeah, moved with compassion. This is not an uncompassionate Christ. This is a compassionate son of the living God. And he has compassion. This is a leper there. And he, he stretched out his hand and he heals him. And he says, you're going to, you know, I, I will heal you and be clean. We have a compassionate Christ. But his priority is not my leprosy, but my spiritual leprosy. And Jesus keeps that. I mean, guys, there, if you walk with Christ long enough, do not be surprised if Christ does not heal all of your present hurts. Don't be surprised. But please do not make him out as an uncompassionate Christ then. 
He's not an uncompassionate, uncaring Jesus. What we find there is that he is taking care of that which is primary, which is the, the foundation of transformation in our lives. What our greatest need is, and that is he's there to be a suffering servant for our sin. Number two, prayer is essential to keeping spiritual priorities. Let's just say they said, okay, this is what I feel like my mission is. This is what God has called me to do. Now, how do I keep this focus? How do I keep kind of on track and a laser focus on these things instead of just kind of all over the place? And what we see from the life of Christ is, is that prayer is the key. How many people remember family circus? Yeah. And so in this particular one, there was a lot like this, okay? And, and for all the young ones... There was this thing that used to be called the newspaper. And and in the newspaper on Sunday were the Sunday comics. How many of y'all grew up with the Sunday comics? I mean, that's the first section that the kids would go to, okay? And Family circle, uh, Circus was one of those uh, things. And, and you know, here it's like, okay, will you go, little Billy, will you go get some firewood? And then look what happens. He goes all over the place. I mean, everywhere. Comes back with like a couple of twigs. Is this enough? Billy, you had one job. Okay. Go get some logs. Go get some, you know, some firewood for the fire. And he's all over the place. How many of you feel like your life is like that sometimes? You had one job. Make much of Christ. And we're going, okay. I got a couple twigs. Is that enough? Thank you, Father, for your grace and it's sufficient for us because that's us, Father. We may make priorities, and yet we get distracted. We get all kinds of different things. Other things become priorities, and we kind of live out this reality in our lives. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, In these days he, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, he is God, and yet he's praying to the Father. It still amazes me. I still can't quite figure out all that, how... You know, they are, he is God, and yet he's praying to the Father in this relationship that he's established, and he's subservient to this relationship. Verse 13, and when the day had come, he called his disciples and chose them uh, from them twelve, whom he named apostles. He prays for direction, and then he goes and pulls out these twelve disciples. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 and 42, just a couple examples here. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We just studied that weeks ago. We see this Christ, who is the Messiah, who is God, and yet, how does he keep the laser focus? Prayer. He stays before the Father. Third, as we close this morning, Godly priorities will not always equal human popularity. Peter's thinking like a good businessman. He's thinking very commonsensical here. I mean, before you put Peter down and say, okay, Peter, why are you frustrated with Jesus? Don't you know that his ultimate ministry is all about salvation instead of just serving present-day needs? Peter's thinking very human. I mean, that's how humans think. So, so I, I don't think that we need to get on to, to, to Peter. It just We need our minds to be transformed to think more like Jesus. 
Remember that the Jewish people, they're looking for a political superman, not a personal savior. They want somebody to heal both their personal hurts, but also their political hurts and all these other things that are happening in their lives. They want the Romans out of town and they want the Jewish nation that they knew under David or Solomon. This is what they think the Messiah is. The Messiah is going to come and establish a greater kingdom than David and Solomon ever thought about. And we, the Jewish people, are going to be acclaimed all around the world once again. And Jesus says, no, this was never my mission. It's not about politics in an earthly kingdom. It's about spirituality and an eternal kingdom. And before, just because I'm doing all these healings, before you think that, you know, everybody's going to line up the door and I'm just going to zap, 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 zap and heal all the human needs, he has compassion. He's a compassionate Savior, but he does not misplace his priorities. And so if he wants to heal Bobby of this physical affliction or Bobby from his spiritual depravity, Thank you, Lord, that he said, I will, serve, I will serve Bobby and I will come save him from his spiritual depravity rather than just his kind of personal affliction. On Monday, when we have that personal affliction, I get it. We're kind of let down that Jesus didn't answer that one. But folks, this is where we begin to expand our mind to think biblically. One day we will stand before a holy God. And we won't say, okay, God, you know, I'm kind of disappointed. You know, I had leprosy and you didn't heal me. But, but thanks for Jesus dying on the cross so that I can, you know, live with you and become a son or daughter of the living God. With clarity, with clarity, we will see. Perhaps for the first time. At least with that kind of clarity, absolutely the first time. God, thank you that when it came down to my personal afflictions and physical things and this relationship didn't turn out quite like I wanted and and this kind of, you know, I don't know why I got fired from that job and you didn't give me another job right away and all the different things that happen in life that truly are concerns of us. That we'll say, thank you, Father, that you sent a Savior to save me from my greatest need. My sin that separated me from you. Human popular, I mean popularity, to, re, to preach repentance over healing? No. But Jesus doesn't miss a mark. They leave for the next city. Because Jesus is very exact. Hey, this is what I've come to do. <laughs> I've come to preach the gospel. That is the good news of Christ. This morning, can you say that the Jesus that you really want today, this morning, is a Jesus to heal your hurts or to change your heart? I mean, just being honest with ourselves. What Christ are we looking for? What what Jesus are we looking for? What Messiah do we desire? Something that's going to fix the tragedies of this present life and the uncomfortableness and all the scrapes and bruises that we get physically, emotionally, and all otherwise are the one that says, Bobby, you need a Savior. And I will give you the very Lamb of God. Oh, that God would give me that discernment today.
Oh, that God would give you that discernment today. Paul David Tripp, I don't know if you've heard that name. It's a great writer. Writes a lot of just really good stuff. And, and I should have written this down instead of me paraphrasing because he's quite eloquent. <laughs> but he said something like this, that, that when we begin to worship a Savior that is simply just um, you know, delivering to us, that this will never satisfy God, but it will never satisfy us. Seems satisfying. Prayed for a new job. Boom, guess what? I got a new job and I make double what I made at the old place. What a great God we serve. And I'm not saying that God doesn't do that, guys. The very time he says, we need to go into the next city, leave this crowd behind and preach the gospel. That's why I can't. The next city he gets there and he's filled with compassion. He sees this leper and he heals the guy from leprosy. This isn't the guy who's not meeting needs and healing hurts. That's just not his priority. His priority is always going to be, I needed a new heart. And he gives that because now we have a foundation. We have this foundational change that begins to affect every other area of our life. What Messiah, what Jesus do you want this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, I pray that I have interpreted correctly. Father, this this beautiful text. Father, when we start talking about the life of Christ, we're overwhelmed. Father, the storyline is amazing. To to try to, to, to see what is in the heart and mind of Jesus, Father, we are making, hopefully, at least educated guesses, and we pray that your word is just going to be rightly divided and, and we're going to understand these things. So, Father, today, will you, will you teach us the application of this to our lives? Because we would be the first to admit, Father, we really do want a God and a Messiah that serves our needs. If I lose my job, Father, I, I want a God and I want a Messiah that's going to get me a new job and preferably a better job with better pay, better hours. Father, if I, if I have cancer, I, I want to be healed from that cancer. I, I want to have good health. Father, I know my human tendencies and, and where my desire, what kind of Messiah I want. But Father, thank you that your word begins to illuminate my real need. And Father, there I see such a sufficient Savior. Elsewhere, I see compassionate Savior. I see all these other things. But Father, I thank you today that Christ knew his priority. And Father, that today, Father, we praise you because of your faithfulness that you did not turn left or right. You didn't change the ministry or the objective of Christ. But Father, till he was on the cross, in the grave, resurrected and ascended back to you, he never swerved for a moment. Great is your faithfulness, God. Great is your faithfulness. We thank you today, Father, whether you have healed our present hurt or not, that you provided a Savior to heal our deepest need. Great is your faithfulness. We love you and thank you as we pray this in Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.